Royce on all to Fearless in Devotion, the Wrexham AFC podcast, sponsored by the Fat Ball Bar and Restaurants. Thanks to them for their continued support. And thanks to you all who have bought us a coffee uh, and helped us with run- the running costs of this podcast. We're very grateful, aren't we, Tim? We are as indeed. As as what are you uh, swigging? Mid drink. Swigging there. an alcohol free Copperberg. God, that's tragic. Oh, well, you know, whatever. <laughs> Reese, all these coffees have kept us in caps. Yes. That, let's, address, let's address the cap in the room, or the four of them. And seeing as we reckon we've just played in America, this mm. seems very fitting that we're all wearing caps because we all know yeah. Americans love their, love their caps, love their peaks. So yeah. For those of you listening, we are all four of us wearing baseball caps of different varieties. And we all look great. But yes, welcome to the podcast as ever. It's been a while, actually. It feels like it's been a while since we've done one of these. Um, but we have a fantastic guest lined up for you today. Um, I won't try and be mysterious because it's probably going to be in the title of the podcast, right? But uh, So you know who's ooh, coming ooh, and it's, <laughs> it's going to be great. Before it's then, though, let's talk, <laughs> let's talk through a couple of things uh, that have happened the last couple of weeks. One is this bonkers seven-a-side competition uh andy um oh what you come to me for because i know you loved it i i didn't watch a single minute of it i'll be absolutely honest mate uh, go to tim go to tim let's let's change the title of this podcast and this entire thing andy's not fearless where his devotion counts <laughs> he's just confirmed it andy hates um, me trundle tim what did you think you know what? I, I routinely ignored it and ignored it and ignored it because they announced it, didn't they? In like a sort of mini blaze of glory. Then it just, it was shelved because of what was going on in our, in our normal season. So it came around quite quick. And then the people like who were supposed to be playing, like Sean Pearson, went in it and then so on and so forth. However, it was much more enjoyable than what I thought it was going to be. And yeah, it was, it was good fun. Will it happen again? Very likely. We didn't win it. So Dave Jones out. Liam, I mean, I, I'm similar to Tim, actually. I kind of thought this sounds like a gimmick and sounds like it could be a disaster, really, in terms of not being that entertaining. But it was actually great to watch, wasn't it? I watched I watched uh, the highlights and I was sort of following the clips on Twitter. It was uh, quite uh, some quite entertaining matches. Yeah, I got caught up in it, to be honest. Um, a bit like everyone else, a bit cynical, different crazy rules and things like that. And then first game, you end up in a situation where we're 2-0 down. Some people think the game's already over, which it wasn't. <laughs> it went to target score time, which we all know very well. You have to reach the plus one of the team that's leading. And we come back and win 3-2. And inexplicably, Lee Trundle wades into a sea of Italians looking for a ruck. And all of a sudden, I'm in love with the tournament. Um, yeah, it was great fun. I'm not, I wasn't quite ready for the full rigmarole of football yet. So this is just a nice little teaser in between. And it was good fun. And I think it would be good if we did do it again. And I think the main takeaways are Ruthers was actually made a couple of key assists from what I could tell, played well. So well done to Paul Rutherford, friend of the podcast, um, on his contribution out there. Um, Dave Jones is still a baller, but I mean, seven aside, there is no one built for that more than Lee Trundle. Just he is that type of player that you do not want to be playing against on that kind of pitch. Up front, big, strong bloke. Um, unbelievable feat, and yeah, it was great to see him back in a Wrexham shirt. He's gone from shit house to brick shit house. Size him. <laughs> he was. Everybody said, "Oh, he's he's he's, he's too fat." He's not. He's not fat, is he? No, he's just no. well built and well, well built. You know, he's in his forties. He's in good yeah. nick. 
I think Lewis Lloyd stood out for me, and there's been people saying, I'll give George Boyd a contract. Not happening. But Lewis Lloyd's really good, and there's rumours he's going to tip up at Chester, which would be a crying shame. Do you do you mind if I wish everyone a happy rising week? It's it's a magical it's a magical time of the year. Um, I mean, I, I personally love singing my rising week carols, watching the rising week elves move a sponsor from the side of the shirt to the back of the shirt. Um, I, I mean, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It was everything I wanted and more. That was the highest I've ever risen when Vista Print was moved on the shirts. <laughs> I, I mean, obviously I'm taking the piss, but, you know, these sort what? of things happen where you think you can announce loads of sponsors and because they're dealing with multinational companies, sometimes things don't quite work out. I mean, I deal with a lot of sort of com- companies, even like stuff like McDonald's at work, and you think you've got everything signed off and then at the last minute something will change. So I do have a bit of sympathy for them, I'll be honest. Andy, thank you for that insight into high-level, boardroom-level strategizing. I knew that we could depend on you for your, you know, key insight there. You would. I am a young executive. A young executive, Reese. That's, that's what. That's what's on my card. Well, we should, get, I... we should get we should get Peter Moore back on just to have a, a sixty-minute chat with Andy about how difficult it is to get these multinationals together. Well, I, I think, think they... Moore should interview me. <laughs> no. I think the Vista, Vista Print logo looks like it should do now and not like the health warning that you get in a packet of fags, which is what it did look like previously. So, yeah, and a bit of a sneak preview to the shirt. It's a red Wrexham shirt. Yay. Tim, where have you seen this shirt? Come on. Um, well, there's been, there's been various screen grabs sent around of the supposed final three designs. Um, and it's always difficult to really judge from you know, a sort of grainy screenshot of a, of a laptop to what, what it's actually like in the flesh. So I think they'll be decent. The, the white one, if the white one is bang on the money, is very, very decent. I don't oh, want to... Yeah, I've seen them. I like the white one a lot. If that, if no, that is true, yeah. I mean... Let's just say it's, it's the closest thing to a sash kit we've ever had. It's not a sash, but I don't want to say too much because I don't, I don't want them to uh, drag me over the hot coals. But it looks really nice, and the black shirt is a black shirt, but it looks, I think apparently there's there's something sublimated into the kit, so... They're all going to sell, aren't they? They're going to sell in their bucket loads. So they've got the supply and demand issue right this time. So great. Hopefully this week it'll be revealed. And also grainy pictures um, unconfirmed on social media almost always famously accurate too. So um, looking forward to seeing the finished product. Um, what else can we talk about? Paul Mullin, FA Cup top scorer. Well done to him. Well deserved. Delighted for him. Hopefully next season as well. Um, did, you, did you see the fume on Twitter that people watching the FA Cup finals like, can't believe that rat face shitbag Mullins on my TV screen. Like, oh, people were going, were going wild about it. It was Love hilarious. It. You know what? Specifically Chesterfield like, fans. I met him before the before the Cup final, went up to his uh, hotel because he did a little bit for the fanzine and, and signed some, some posters. Still two young. things. First time I met him in the flesh, two things. He's bigger than I thought. Is he? Right. Yeah, he's he's, he's a muscle, yeah, really quite really broad shoulders as well, and he's a bright lad. Like some of the some of the you know you get a lot of cliched football answers. This fellow thinks about stuff. You know, he, he answers he answers honestly, and the stuff he was talking about, not just you know the pressure that he's he's been under this season and how you know we've seen that picture that we've been selling with him in his arms in the air. I mean, it's it's 
that's a release of pressure, but that's the pressure he puts on himself as a star player. And he talked really well about, about autism and his lad and, and the Your Space charity. I was really impressed with him. I thought he was a very can we, guy. Can we just rewind to what you were, you were doing in his hotel before Wembley? <laughs> well, it was arranged, mate. It was arranged. I wasn't in his room. We met, uh, we met downstairs. And fair play, he, him and his dad... Uh, like they had a little production line, and he signed a hundred copies of of the uh, of of the poster we've got for sale, and we're going to auction them for charity. Uh, what's are we going to sell them for charity? And you know, good on him. He doesn't have to do that, but he was very. Did he shake, very his, dad, did he shake his dad's hand? Uh, yeah. Why? Got a firm handshake, that bloke. I don't know if you noticed yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering why he was wearing a cast. Hmm? I was wondering why you were wearing a cast. Yeah. Uh, and his mate Jay was there, um, who goes to a lot of Wrexham games now. Yeah, it, fair play. Yeah, nice. I, I enjoyed that 20 minutes from Paul. Yeah, love Paul Mullin. Up the deep thinking town. Uh, anything else we need to address quickly before... We um, need to talk about the fanzine. Do we? What's happening with yes, the fanzine? Because, yeah, because 250 of you have pre-ordered it, and you might be wondering, where the bloody hell is it? Um, I finished it. We finished it this week. Um, so it's going to be proofread for the end of the week. We've got one feature to come in. Everything else is done. We're going to proofread it till Friday. Then it's going to go in the printers on Monday. We should have it by the end of the week, and it should be sent out the week after. So it's getting there. It's good. It's got loads of great stuff. I think it's got more more sort of celebs than we've ever had in it. You know, we've got a bit of Dean Saunders, a bit of... Mullin, Ryan Barnett, we've got Elliot Lee exclusives, we've got Ryan and Rob for, uh, uh, for, for bloody hell's Pete's sake. sake. Um, <laughs> Pete's sake, that's it. That's a good American word to put in there in my cap. Uh, look, it's star-studded, absolutely star-studded. Can I also say it's 56 pages rather than the 48? It's still the same price. There's less advertising. We just want to give you a souvenir collector's guide of promotion and how we got here so buy that and also buy that flaming supplement the one i keep banging on about rising dragons available in the shops now and you can buy it online couldn't agree with you more rising week may be over but you should buy rising dragons and then if you're still fearless in your devotion you should order the fearless fans wow. that's seamless that right? mate seamless it's like God, I'm this good. professionally right pitch being relayed and cop work liam steel uh, I think the the pitch is being relayed is the uh, is the kit no no I've seen, there's an aerial video who's um gone up can't remember the chap's name but always good to see these looks like the I, I don't know the technical processes so what I'm gonna say is looks like a load of sun's been put down um and then yeah they're doing some work to the pitch I don't think actual work has started on the the coppers yet I think the guy on the video commented on the hard standing but that was there for the uh kings of leon gig uh, to put the stage down so yeah not entirely sure what's happening there it might be a small amount of slippage but these guys are pretty efficient so i'm sure it'll get banged away soon well, why do you reckon they've kept the uh, the old floodlight in situ for now is there any particular reasoning behind that do you think there's been about three different reasons people have given. Someone said there was a, a health and safety incident, which I don't think is at all true. Someone said something about Welsh water. And the, the one that seems to be hold the most truth is um, one of the parts wasn't right that was delivered originally. So they're waiting on it to be delivered again. Um, but I can confirm that the lights are working very well from the Kings of Leon gig. They put on a wonderful show, bit show-offy, 
they're not really like your stoic standard lights but they were all programmed in and dancing to the kings of leon so they're very impressive isn't that going to go with the lighting that's going to be going into the stands as well it's going to match that so that i think the lighting within the stands matches what's going on with the the floodlights as well so you get a full 360 party vibe we're going to be like wolves doing those discos pre-match with the lights and the it's what they do do wales games um use it half time or but full time if we've done something they'll stick uh zombie nation on and all the lights go nuts and it goes dark it's it's it's, it's, it's quite spectacular and but yeah if you're going to put a shell out that much on lights you might as well get it to do more than just light up true enough last thing before we go to brian flynn uh, i don't think any of us have got any uh transfer rumors have we um or any intel on the number Number one question in terms of contracts, will Ben Foster sign for another season? Andy, any thoughts, opinions, emotions? Any thoughts on that? Uh, I think well, I think we probably need to get that sorted pretty pretty soon. Mm. But, I mean, I don't know. Is there something that the transfer window hasn't really opened yet? Uh, I, I don't know, because Tramley signed, signed a player today, didn't they? So I think you can sort of make, make in and outcomings. I mean, there's no rush. Uh, but I would foster certainly. I'm sure there's more behind the scenes than we know, but I think that's probably the first decision you make, really, isn't it? Because it's quite it's quite a key one. And we've mentioned before, haven't we? We're talking minor surgery this summer, not major surgery. Two or three strategic signings, right, Liam? Yeah, I reckon so. Yeah, I could see us making. Well, depend on what happens with the goalkeeper situation, but I, for me, I just think a striker. Backup striker would be a priority for me. I know we've got the likes of Sam Dolby and Billy Waters, but um, I saw it interesting. So we got a link to a crew striker today. Um, Dan, Dan, hang on a minute. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to Google this now so that I don't look like a complete mug. Um, Dan, Daniel. Sorry, too late. Dan Aggie, Dan Aggie, Dan Aggie. Um, you need to play for Liverpool. Was it Dan Aga? That's Dan Hager. <laughs> <laughs> and he's definitely not a striker. That was my limited Liverpool knowledge uh, tells me. My um, theory um, on Foster, though, is that he's already signed in there and they're holding it back. That, that, that's just my theory based on nothing whatsoever. But All right, if we're going to put weird goalkeeper theories out there, I dreamt in the week that we'd sign Kelleher from Liverpool on a five-year deal. Uh, so, but, you know, pop that one up. Surely, well. if is Ben Foster... If Ben Foster Foster's already signed, surely that's your classic uh, example for Rising Week. So why is it? Are we going to have a Risen Week? Well, the, I mean, I think the the problem is that we're all we've all lost the true meaning of Rising Week. <laughs> so you know, you, yeah, you get he's you right. try and throw you try and throw something like that in, and everyone's focused on Ben Foster, and you, you know, we all we all know what Rising Week means in the heart. But, <laughs> I, I mean, some people will say Rising Week's got too commercial, but at the end of the day, it is supposed to be <laughs> commercial. Uh, anyway. Whoever listens to this back, please, can you tell us um, how many times Rising Week was said during this conversation? Because I imagine it was a fair few. We're not on commission for it, by the way, because none of us actually know what it was. Oh, we are on commission for Rising Dragons, which is a spin-off <laughs> from Rising Week. And oh, no, you are. 84 pages, 84 pages of all the Rising Week stuff that you need to know yeah. in one place. Are we on commission for that then? Because can I, can I see my side of that? Um, little well, you're piece. the only one who didn't write anything for it. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, 
yeah no problem right anyway thank you everyone for listening um we've got a great chat coming up with you now please enjoy this chat with the rex and managerial legend brian flynn So many people have wanted him on the Fearless and Devotion podcast for so long we had to oblige. Before the arrival of Ryan and Rob, Wrexham FC was epitomised by another two words, Brian and Flynn. He was so much more than a manager in a long association with Wrexham that began as a player and went on into legend. Under him, the then Robin enjoyed the best spell any of us can remember, famed cup runs and of course that Arsenal win. He also helped him some, bring in some absolute icons from Marriott to Fergie, Trundle to Morel, and of course, Benno on Connolly. Now, a bit of disclaimer in this. This is such a long period. None of us, not, not me, not, not Liam, not Brian, are going to get absolutely everything right here. But we're going to make, our, make it our best to try. Welcome to the pod, the one and only Brian Flynn. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Andy. Everything's good. Obviously, it's been a, a fantastic year in, in so many ways. And uh, glad to see the... Uh, the start of a very, very exciting new journey ahead. Yeah, I know. It's. I mean, we're all we're all amazed how good, good you know we were last season. I think we'll sort of get on. We'll we'll try and do a comparison of your team and and this team. It's going to be a bit hard. <laughs> <laughs> I know you played at a much higher level, but <laughs> you know. Yeah, we 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 like to make comparisons, and it helps like the the, the newer sort of fans under sort of understand where they're coming from. Talking to a to a legend like you. So, firstly, can we just sort of go through as a player? I mean, I'll be honest, I only saw a few games at the back end of your career, and I don't think Liam probably saw you at all play. How good at you were you at football? That's uh, that's <laughs> going to take a, uh, the shot that the. the sh- there's two answers to that, the short and long. Obviously, the short, I'll take the short. <laughs> and one word, fantastic. <laughs> and, and, uh, and as I'm getting older, I'm like a good bottle of wine. I'm getting better by the year. So you're, you're actually, in your mind, you're, you're sort of, you're improving uh, as a player. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and sometimes in other people's minds as well, when they, uh, <laughs> when they, they look back and, uh, certain things happened that uh, obviously are influential in that, um, in terms of mainly my Welsh career, mm. which is obviously more the more of a highlight uh, in terms of the the playing side. Uh, but uh, how good a football was I? Uh, I probably will be in a, in a current bracket probably about 150 grand a week. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Could still be playing for Burnley in the Premier League. Uh, I don't think I, mean, I don't think Burnley will pay that money now. But uh, <laughs> if you look at the top six, I mean, I, I was with Leeds, and we we finished uh, in my first four years. We finished fourth, third, third, and fourth. And Jimmy Armfield got the sack because it wasn't good enough. Right. So that's what that's what the sort of te- the the standard Leeds were at at that time. Wow. Uh, I mean, how does a Port Talbot boy end up at Burnley? Because that's where you started, wasn't it? Correct, yes. I'd, uh, I actually signed for Cardiff as, oh, okay. an, as an associate schoolboy 
what what that means is you signed the it was a, called the old blue form. You signed the form when you're 14, only when you're 14. You can't do anything else. Uh, and I went to Cardiff and oh well over a year. Went uh, on a Tuesday night to train after school, all on my own, and uh, train once a week. And then I found out uh, at the end of that season, they'd not retained me. They'd released me. But they didn't tell me that. <laughs> Somebody else found out. Somebody else found out that, they had, that, uh, that I'd been released. That they wanted me to go to a development squad, which I understand now. I can, I, I can understand it. Where if somebody's not quite good enough at 14, look, mm. I was never going to be six foot. So there's no, there's no argument over that. So, um, and but they put they put my form in in a in a drawer and just forgot it, and then once I found out, then the first people who were knocking on my door was Burnley. They came knocking on, on the door and said, "We'd like you to go up to Burnley." And as soon as I came up, it was uh, it was so interesting in terms of it was like a home from home for right. me, apart from the beach. <laughs> apart, yeah, Port Talbot yeah, and Burnley, quite industrial centres, quite well, similar size. Aberavon Beach, no, look, Andy, <laughs> from Aberavon Beach, I, I missed the beach. I grew up on the beach, obviously, in, as, a, as, a, as a kid. Uh, Burnley's an industrial cotton mill, old cotton mills everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but it, it just felt home from home. And uh, I did go on trials to Arsenal, to Leeds, to Chelsea, and look at that. But London wasn't for me. You know, so it was Burnley, without a doubt. Um, you're famous for, and you sort of alluded to it there, you're famous for having a very diminutive frame. How did you cope with being so small in that sort of rough-and-tumble league? You know, there wasn't a lot of lot of protection from referees. And did you score many headers? Oh, what a classic opening question. That Did I score <laughs> many headers? <laughs> yes, I'll come to that in a second, Andy. They, in terms of, uh, I, I uh, thankfully throughout my career, uh, I've never had a serious injury. Um, I put that down to, uh, in primary school, we played rugby from six-year-old till I le- left to the comprehensive. So probably for four or five years, I played rugby. So I knew how to take a tackle, but a physical tackle, not below the leg tackle. So mm-hmm. I was able to read situations and... Uh, no, if I'm, if I'm going to get hurt or I can be in trouble in terms of... Uh, but size didn't matter, you know what I mean? I could tackle as hard as anybody else uh, in terms of opposing, opposing players. Yeah. Uh, but uh, one thing when I came to Burnley, I was thinking, never, nobody ever, ever mentioned my size or if I have to compensate for the lack of inches. I was never going to win a lot of headers in midfield. You don't need to win a lot of headers in midfield, basically. The heading duels are always inside the penalty boxes. But on the point that you said, the most famous headed goal at, uh, in I Welsh history. In Welsh history, I'm one of the only two players to score against Brazil and, with a, and the only one to score with a head. So I scored with a header. Uh, far post, I, I, I glamorised the story a little bit by saying <laughs> I rose above Dr so- Socrates at the far <laughs> post, who Dr Socrates, if you know, is about six foot four. Uh, he? He, he did play that day. He was captain. Yeah. Uh, but I glamorised the story. I, gl- I ghosted in at the far post and uh, 
managed to score with a diving header. Just just want to ask Liam the other the trivia question. Liam, who was the other player? Do you know? Not off the top of my head, I'm afraid. Oh, no. We'll be Googling it now. Liam will be Googling it. <laughs> I'll give you a clue. It's another, it was another past Wrexham manager. Yeah, correct, Andy. Ooh. That's a big clue, that is. Come on. I tell you what, it's not Gary Mills. <laughs> um, for Wales. For Wales. Is it Arvon? Yeah, for Wales. Come on. Is it Ar- right? Is it Ar- Countdown. Five, four, three, two, one. Dean Saunders. Come on, mate. Oh, Dean Saunders. Yeah. Don't tell me you've you've okay. even you've glossed over the, the Dean Saunders period. Um <laughs> right, anyway, Brian, there was so much to talk about in your playing career, but we're here to talk about Wrexham and we don't want to take up your time by talking about Leeds and all all the fantastic memories you had here. So let's sort of skip forward to more towards the end of your playing career. Um were you always interested in coaching? Was that something you were sort of thinking about as you were sort of getting over the age of 30? Yes, yes it was. I, I took my uh, B licence, uh, which was done on a regional basis in the northwest, which was over basically, uh, it lasted six weeks and it was every Sunday or for a, a Sunday, all day Sunday. Uh, this was after playing on a Saturday as well. And right. I was yeah, committed yeah. and we played on a Saturday. Went to the, the, the this it was called the preliminary B license then, uh, which I passed, and then automatically I went for the A license in 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 the, in the following summer, the uh, the FA A license as it was called then, uh, at at Lillishall and spent a week at Lillishall to get it, uh, which I which I did. I was twenty twenty eight then. Uh, okay, so pretty young. Yeah, yeah, but I, I thought, well, yeah, football is it's a fantastic career, and uh, I was, I've, and I've got to admit, I was sliding down the ladder in terms of. I, I left. Um, uh, do you, the old question is, Andy, do you go back? Uh, I was at Leeds. Yeah, things weren't going great at Leeds. Uh, I must admit, the team was struggling in the top division. Uh, I was a bit of a scapegoat looking back. Didn't realise at the time, but I was, and I, I decided to come back to Burnley. And the old ad is, "Do you go back?" Some people say, "Never go back." Uh, I came back. It was, it was okay for a year, and then unfortunately, unfortunately for Burnley, John Bond took over. Right. Okay. Unfortunately for Burnley, and um, my time at Burnley was soon over. Uh, just and I went to Cardiff. Uh, I'll get round. To, I'll get down to round to Wrexham in a minute. Uh, so I went to Cardiff. Then the only reason I went to Cardiff was was the uh, the manager at the time was Alan Durbin, who was right. from Port Talbot, mm. who I knew, and he persuaded me to go to Cardiff. Didn't work out. I ended up at Berry at uh, Doncaster. So my career was going down the leagues, basically, Andy. Yeah. I went, yeah, I, went yeah. I went. to Doncaster, I went to Berry, and that's where my coaching career started, was right. not at Berry, but um, I was at Berry at the time, and uh, one of my best friends in football, we played together at Burnley, was Billy Hamilton, the Northern Ireland's striker. Oh, yeah, he went on to manage them, didn't he? Yeah. Centre forward. Yeah. Billy Hamilton, Billy, no, that was Brian Hamilton. Billy, oh, Ham- it? Sorry. Okay. Billy Hamilton went to Oxford from Burnley for big money 
unfortunately had to retire through a, his knee was what wasn't great, so he had to retire at Oxford. And he he got offered the manager's job at Limerick. Right, yeah. And then he, he refused, he, he wouldn't take it unless I went with him. As uh, a player or a coach? Or both, both. Both. Right. As a player coach. Limerick were, <laughs> I suppose this is where my first taste of fighting relegation or fighting disaster. Limerick were five points adrift. Uh, and they brought us in in the January to um, keep them safe. I think we had 11 games left. We kept them safe. They stayed in, in the in the top division. At the end of the season, they sacked me. No, oh, thanks. <laughs> and that's, fo- that's football. That's, it was a good lesson looking yeah. back. It was a good lesson looking back, but uh, you never know what's around the next corner, even though you could... Fairly successful. You, you got you done what it was expected of you, and then uh, and after that, I came back and Doncaster was it? Back to Doncaster, yeah, with a really good young side. But in the meantime, I was approached by by the PFA to do some work with the PFA. Mm. Uh, so it was the what was called the football in the community scheme then. So I was approached to do that. And so I was doing that. I was doing that for over 18 months. Uh, during that time, Joey Jones phoned us up and said, look, Brian, uh, Dixie wants to have a word with you. I've mentioned him that you're available. So I went on a chat with Dixie, explained the situation. I can play games. I'm fit. I'll try to, if I can do two training sessions a week, uh, I'll do my best to do that. And Dixie was more than happy with that. We had a good year that season, playing wise in terms yeah. of getting to the playoffs. Yeah, beating Scunthorpe. I remember. I think we beat Scunthorpe away five one, mm. something like that. I think we, we we in the in the first leg of the semi final. I think we battered them. Yeah, uh, sure it was five one. Uh, so we went into the second leg against Leighton Orient. We lost. We lost the two legged tie at home. Basically, we we didn't do enough at home. We we we. We should have won the game and classic we didn't then lose down in orient yeah uh, but then what happened after that was uh kevin russell got sold for big money mike salmon got sold with mike was the best goalkeeper in the division kevin was the highest scorer in the division so you know as teammates i knew that we'd you know the team would struggle which culminated in uh dixie leaving Mm. And the chairman asking me to take over, and that's that's how it all began. Yeah, I was going to say, was it was it always natural that you would take over? Did you sort of did you sort of think, yeah, this this could be the job for no. me? Would you, no, no, never entered my mind. Okay, never entered my mind until again Joey rang me up again. I was actually I was actually in a meeting with Gordon Taylor at the PFA offices in Manchester, and. Um, what happened was that we, I was in a meeting and Gordon received an internal telephone call to say that a certain Dave Lovett was downstairs. Oh, bloody hell, honestly. Yes, yeah. Um, obviously, you know Dave Lovett. Dave oh, Lovett, yeah. Leader, Wrexham leader, the football correspondent, the head football correspondent for the Wrexham leader. Uh, and he was downstairs and Gordon said, look, there's a Dave Lovett downstairs. Would you like to speak to him? And I said, yeah, of course. So I went downstairs and Dave said, Dixie's left. The chairman has told me privately, he wants you as manager. 
So the first thing I heard was from 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 Dave Lovett, basically. Well, prior, sorry, Joey rang me up and Joey said, look, Dixie's left. Dixie's left and look, why didn't, why didn't you have a go? And it, that was the first time really I thought. And then obviously the next step was Dixie, well, it was Dave Lovett downstairs. So that's how it all happened. Wow, that is proper old school journalism, that. You don't, yeah, don't do exactly. that anymore. Yeah, Follow exactly. someone on Twitter now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that's an amazing story. Now, can I ask about Kevin Reeves? Because you two are synonymous. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Is this a bit unfair? Was it a bit of a good cop, bad cop? Were you a little bit more ruthless than, than, than Kevin? <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was everyone's pal, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah Kev was... Uh, uh, I first met Kev when I played at Burnley, signed for Burnley. One of the good things that John Bond did <laughs> was sign Kevin Reeves. I, I censored I know John Bond uh, yeah. Bond here. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's uh he, he came to Burnley and in terms of playing wise we hit it off. And then off the field wise we hit it off as well. Even even though he lived in Manchester, we got on we got on really well. And then we always kept in touch. Uh, we always spoke to each other. Sometimes that doesn't happen in football. You know, that the, the, the friendship seems to disappear after a certain length of time. But uh, mine and Kevin's didn't. Uh, unfortunately for Kev uh, at Burnley, he had to retire at 28. Yeah. Because of his hip. So he had to, he had to retire early. And then... Um, he did the same as me before. Before he had uh, his new hip, he did his coaching courses. I think we could have been on the same one in Lillishall, I think, which was another connection. And as soon as, as soon as the Wrexham uh, position became available, it, it, it looked. It was. I knew Joe. I know Joey would say yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I knew that he'd, he'd be part of the, the trio. And we were a trio. I, I must admit, it was a fantastic trio. Uh, um, and then I asked Kev if he'd be interested in coming in. And that's that's history. I mean, they were the, the perfect. There wasn't a one, two and three. We, we were all basically the same. And uh, uh, it was so vital to, to, to me to have Joey and Kev. But yeah. Kev was... As you say, Mr. Nice Guy. Joey wasn't a bad guy. No, Joey, he's not. Joey, he's not at no, all. Joey wasn't a bad He just threatened everybody, Joey, which is, you all know, Joey, I'll knock your head off. Uh, I've heard a few stories recently, and I couldn't believe it's true that he chased one of the players in the away dressing room uh, and knocked five bells out of him. <laughs> That's Joey. <laughs> I was going to say his bike's worse than his bike, but it sounds like his bike's pretty uh, bad. Now. Yes, his bike can be in the, at the wrong time. So it was a, it was like a perfect combination. It was a perfect fit for Wrexham. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, how bad was the situation when you took took over there? And I know you said you sold some of you'd, you'd sold some of the the better players. You knew that they may struggle on the pitch. But what was it like off the pitch? I mean, I can, I remember back there. Were you training in the car park? Was that was that um... the kids were training in the car park? We were tra- where were we training? We were training at um, the old rugby school. Brenestin. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. The old, uh, go past Grove, not Grove Park, where they uh, where they were training before. Well, recently Wrexham were training there. Is it Grove Park? 
Liam, uh, you might know better. Yeah, it was. Yeah, they were training on the Nine Acre near the, that's near the groves. Liam, that's yeah. it. Nine Acre. Well, you drive straight past that and go down towards the school, uh, and, and it was next to a primary school. I think it was a piece of council land, and basically we had to scour it for first for glass, and then the excrement, any dog excrement before we could start. Wow. And if the council, and if the council vans came, we used to sort of not run like like. Children, but we said time up, lads. Training's finished, because it, it was uh, it was pretty pretty tough. I must admit, in, in them them training conditions. That's why it became from day one basically. It can be uh, an obsession. Uh, Collier's Park was an obsession I had, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't rest until that, that happened. So that's obviously so many years in advance. But uh, the training. I knew we'd struggle. I knew we'd struggle because we just we couldn't prepare the team properly for the Saturday. No goals. The goals literally were um, kit. Basic. It was kit the goal the posts, Yeah. Yeah. Literally was the goalposts were kit. So clearly there was um, you know quite a lot of work to do there. But could you see the potential in some of the? youngsters that were coming through even then with the likes of Lee Jones, Gareth Owen, Wayne Phillips, uh, Phil Hardy and Steve Watkin? Uh, yeah, obviously lent on Cliff Sear, so and Mike Buxton, so heavily at that period because I said that uh, when we get out of this situation, I'm going to, all these youngsters uh, are going to be playing next season. They're going to play 30, 40 games each, so they're going to have to be ready and... Uh, what will happen is we'll 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 struggle we'll struggle in terms of consistency and performances and results, but one thing's for certain: the two years time, and that's how I used to. That's the way I had to be. Look at two years in advance, uh, but in two years time, just what you know, they'll be they'll be perfect for a really strong promotional push. And the chairman believed me when I told him the plan. Obviously, backed me and believed me, and that's and it's, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, that's what I was actually going to come on to is your relationship with Price Griffiths. Was he the perfect chairman to have at that particular time? For, for a first chairman, he was unbelievable, yeah. Uh, he, he, the biggest compliment you can have, uh, he just said, get on with the job. If you need me, you know where I am. Basically, that's it. You know, I had no a li very little contact with him day to day. Well, none day to day. We, I might have a chat with him on a Friday prior to the game and give him an update what's going on. If it was an away match, what time, you know, what time's the coach leaving? Just general things like that. And um, it, it was like a perfect relationship. Yeah. Um, you were also known clearly for having a good eye for a player. So where on earth did you unearth people like um, Carl Connolly from and, you know, can you see from the first game he had at Wrexham that he'd be so good for us? Um, I've always thought that there's always players when it doesn't matter where or how or whatever level they're playing, if they've got that potential and desire to to improve, age age is no barrier. It shouldn't be a barrier, as it proved throughout my career. I signed uh, Mickey Thomas at 34, Alan Kennedy. Jimmy Case, I think Jimmy Jimmy told a few lies. He said he was thirty-two. I'm sure he was thirty-eight. 
Um, I'm sure he was. But <laughs> in, 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 so age, age doesn't doesn't matter. It didn't uh, this was he? He was cows. We had a a scout working in Liverpool, uh, looking at youngsters for Mike Buxton and Cliff here, looking for young young talent at under sixteen level. Uh, any every age from under sixteen, and like as as you know, as you're well aware, uh, Merseyside's a hotbed for young players. So it was, but obviously the, the the elite young players go to Liverpool and Everton, and then the next step for them is Tranmere. So we're number four in the list, really, in terms of geography, where we are, and what we can attract. And um, we had you went, we had a really good uh, scout in Liverpool who rang me on a Monday morning and said, uh, "I've got, I've, I've got, I found a player, Brian." I said, "Well, I'll just go and get Cliff here for you to." You can have a chat with him. He said, no, no, he's for you. I said, well, just explain. Keith, his name was. Just explain, Keith. He said, well, on a Sunday morning, I'm a part-time referee and I do the uh, Liverpool Sunday Business Homes League and I refereed a kid, a young player yesterday and give him, have a look at him, Brian. Just have a look at him. Say, where does he play? He went, anywhere. What was his name? Carl Connolly. Right, okay. Look, we've got a reserve game Wednesday. Trust you, Keith, implicitly. We've got a reserve game Wednesday. Is he good enough to go straight into a reserve team game? And he went, yes, no doubt. So I, I said, we'll find out today if he's available for Wednesday and then we can make arrangements for him to come across. Uh Keith rang me back later that day. He said, uh, "Thankfully, Carl has has uh, can get a shift off working in a chippy, so he can play. And he worked in a chippy in Liverpool, so he could play on Wednesday. And when he when he came on the Wednesday, after ten minutes, we knew that he was a player. Both me and Kev sat in the stand, and we said, we've got we've, we've unearthed a diamond here.' For us, he was like, and not only that, he." The players appreciated him as well. They knew how good he was. He wasn't coming off uh, a park side. He, he he had so many little tricks under uh, under his up his sleeve. It was it was it was brilliant to watch. And uh, it wasn't long before we signed him full time. Yeah. So, so, in ter- so, in ter- so in terms of actually finding him, yes, we give him opportunities, but it's up to them then to realise their potential. Brian, this wouldn't happen now. This is like a, when Saturday comes, the film with uh, Sean Bean. I mean, how could a player this good slip through all those nets? I mean, I, I can't really, I can't really understand. Was he at Everton and Liverpool as a youth and just drifted away? No. Or no, uh, the, 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 having known it at the, at the elite level, uh, big clubs sometimes get a bit too blasé about it. We can't sign a player from, you know. It, we can't sign a player for a million pounds. We are X, Y, and Z. I was at Everton. And if, it, if they were buying players at Everton for, when I was scouting for two mil, less than two million, they weren't regarded as any, any good. But there's some, there's some brilliant free transfer players. Um, so it's... Uh, uh, Carl was... Just a natural late developer. I mean, I talk about I, I'd seen a lot of it in in because when I was in Wales, I was with Wales for eight years. Um, 
Um, I managed the under 17s, 90s, and 21s. So uh, I knew I knew every Welsh player in the country, in, in in the UK. Well, in Europe, there was a couple in Europe as well uh, who could who, who could play for Wales. And the, the biggest surprise I've ever had. He's turned out to be one of the most consistent defenders in the Premier League I've seen over the last 10 years. And that's Ben Davis at Tottenham. So we had him when he was 17 at Swansea. He was in the under-17 squad. And then, because he was left-back, because he had good height, he was average-paced. He wasn't, you know... But at that time, obviously, being a left-back with Gareth Bale about was going to be difficult at that time. And Joe Jacobson went on to have a really good career at Wickham. Uh, they, they were the left-backs around at the time, so I knew he might struggle. Uh, and Alan Curtis, who was working with, with me for Wales then, I said to Alan, Ben Davis, great lad, I said, League of Wales, top level. How wrong could I be? So you, you get them right, but sometimes you can get them wrong. I told Alan privately, I think the best he's going to do is League of Wales down at Haverford West or somewhere like that, Goitra. And then he, he, he gets a £10 million move to Tottenham. And as I say, probably the most consistent defender there has been in the Premier League. Yeah, what a career he's had. Um, I think probably another one of your strengths at um, Wrexham was your ability to build links with other managers and clubs. I'm thinking specifically of Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United. How did that come about and did it ultimately lead to you signing Darren? Oh, there's, there's, how, how many stories do you want on this one? Yeah. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> all of them. First, first of all, uh, first of all the, in terms of uh, uh, Sir Alex, as he wasn't then, because uh, because I live in Burnley and because I knew that the de- development of young players uh at Wrexham was going to be the key to any success we're going to have. So I used to, um, I used to, on a Saturday morning, we were playing at home on Saturday morning at Wrexham. Players are due to arrive at half past one, quarter two. Uh, I would, I would set off in my house at half past nine, go to the Cliff training ground, which was Manchester United's training ground, and watch their under-18s play on a Saturday morning. So I'd been there a couple of times and uh, upstairs in, in, in the room upstairs, overlooking the pitch at the cliff, I was, uh, somebody came down and said, um, Alex would like to have a word with you upstairs. So I said, oh yeah, okay. So I went upstairs and he said, I've noticed you've been here four or five times now recently. I said, yeah, I said, not all of them are going to play in your first team, but there's a chance that we might be able to, uh, we might, if you give me first chance of uh, if you let me know who's who's available and when they're available, and he said most well, certainly, Brian, I w- I will definitely do that, and uh, so that's that's basically where it stemmed from, is me going towards the, the end of eighteens and then uh, the following season asking for loan players. Obviously, the loan players would go back. Uh, first loan player would be Brian Carey. First loan player we had from Manchester United was Brian Carey. Obviously, the players, they haven't said to me, but obviously the players have gone back to Alex and said, great atmosphere, good club, we like it, I like the way they're playing. So they've gone back with good vibes, basically, to Alex, that they've been looked after properly. And, and they're playing games as well. 
and they'd actually play him. Uh, so, which culminated in any time I'd request a player on loan, then Alex was more than uh, more than helpful financially as well. You know, financially the uh, United because obviously they were earning a lot more than our players were earning. So at that time, you could do deals with uh, in terms of you pay fifty percent or. 20, even twenty five percent in some cases, uh, so it was uh, it was good financially for us as well. But the players they had gave them good experience, so that's where it stemmed from in terms of Sir Alex, uh, and then uh, we drew them in. Uh, we we drew them in the cup winners' cup. Cup winners' it? cup, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, prior to the story, prior to that uh, was. We played Lingby. We played Lingby. And when the draw was made, Lingby were playing Bromby two weeks before. Bromby and Lingby are two city teams in Copenhagen. It's like Manchester in Man City. That 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 was the um the rivalry then. So I I went I went over to Copenhagen to watch the game, obviously to look at Lingby. Uh, that was on a Wednesday, so I flew back Thursday morning, and I got into the office and uh, at Wrexham and said, uh, "Alex Ferguson wants you to ring him, Brian, fairly urgently." So I said, "Yeah, okay, no problem." So I ring Alex up. He said, uh, "All right, uh, how was your trip, Brian? I didn't, I didn't know he knew that I was in Copenhagen." So how was your trip? I said, oh, it went really well. Lingby are a good side. You, you know, I don't, think, uh, I don't think we'll have much chance against them, but we'll do our best. And uh, I, he said, how did the young Bromby goalkeeper do? I said, oh, he was brilliant, Alex. He was oh. brilliant. He, he made some saves. Bromby goalkeeper, go on, Andy, you know it is? Oh, I know it is. Peter Schmeichel. Yeah, it was. That's how much research Alex did. He knew everything, you know, he, he obviously had a scout at that game who recognised me. And the scout has made a report, said, if you need a check-up, check-up with Brian Flynn. I'm assuming they, he said that. I'm, I'm assuming that. So I said, oh, yeah, he's definitely... And what happens, we beat Lingby by a, a perfect manufactured training ground goal set starting from me. You've seen it, Andy, have you? Uh, it's, the, it's the Chris <laughs> Armstrong one, isn't it? Have you seen yeah. it, Liam? I haven't seen it, no, but... Yeah. Oh, you must have seen it. It's on all the training, uh, training Chris, exercises. Chris, Chris Armstrong's head in Google. Yeah, I, I can remember it. You get on YouTube, uh, and what happens next? We draw Manchester United in the next round. <laughs> well, what coincidence that is. Yeah, so uh, in terms of relationship with that, it's just built on from them days, basically. Uh Regarding Darren, that's uh, the shortened story on Darren is uh, he was at Wolves. Uh, him and Mark McGee, I think, was the manager. It was I think it was a, an open secret that they didn't get on. He wasn't playing him, uh, and Wolves were top. Le- yeah, they were top division then, and we needed somebody uh, just like Darren uh, uh, on loan. So prior to phoning Mark McGee up at Wolves, I phoned Alex up to see if he could uh, mark my card and help in any way, the small way that he could. And he said, uh, I said, I'm 
going to phone Mark McGee about uh, you were dialing on loan. And he said, forget it, right? No, forget it. And I said, why? He said, no, and he's not going to play second, third division football. He's too good for third division football. <laughs> Cheers, Alex. Good to be honest. <laughs> it's good to be honest, Alex. Uh, so I said, oh, no. uh, so I made the phone call. It didn't, it didn't happen at that time. Darren then got released at the end of the season. Then he went to Holland, went to Feyenoord. He had a season at Feyenoord, at Feyenoord, I think. He had one season. Came back to the UK in pre-season the following year. I, f- I, got, I got word that he was training at Wigan, pre-season at Wigan to keep fit and uh, get a contract at Wigan. Uh, and then I invited Darren over and I said, uh, come, come and join us, come and train with us, see what you like, see if it... See if it it suits you. I'm building the team around you, Darren. I've got some young players. You be a, you don't have to run anywhere. And as soon as you shout, they'll give you the ball. So you'll have loads of the ball. You'll enjoy everything. Um, and he, he sort of... He, he weren't 100%, obviously. He weren't 100%. I said, well, what is the problem? I said, length of contract or... He's, no, the money doesn't matter. Money is important, Brian, but it's not the be all and end all. It's the length of contract. I've said to him, I, you, you can have three years thinking that's, that's, that's good for him. I think he was 20, yeah. 27 then. I said, Give you, th- you can have three years. Look, I push it to four. If you want four, he's, no, I, I, don't, I, don't want any, I, I don't want any length. I want an open ended contract. I said, So you can leave any time. He went, Yeah. So he preferred that than a three-year contract. So I how said, would he, how, uh, how would he leave, Brian? Is it would he have like a minimum? Oh, we're before Bosman there, aren't we? So he was he technically under contract, and if you had the right bid, you would have to let him go. Uh, it's it's it's, an, it's it basically it's it's called a non-contract, right? Okay. Uh, and the gentleman's agreement that if something that developed for for Darren, which it did, uh, then I would. Uh, Chapman's agreement, I'd rip it up and he right. could leave next day. Uh, so I said, uh, he said, I'm happy with that, Brian. Yeah, I'll sign for that. So I'll, I said, it's an open ended non it's called a non contract. And uh, he signed it. The opening game of the season was uh, it, we were in the final week of pre season. So we were playing on the Saturday. On the, on the Thursday, Darren rang me, he said, uh, Sorry to give you this news, Brian. I've had an offer from Japan, and it's 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 unbelievable. I can't, I can't turn it down. It's I, I just can't turn it down. Will you will you rip the contract up? Will you get the you release my re, international release from the football sources of Wales, which you had to get you know international clearance when you when you play for Wrexham. Uh, I'm going to Japan on Sunday uh, to sort the contract out, so I, I don't really want to play Saturday and travel on Sunday. So Darren's not a problem, good luck, good luck. I said, uh, he said, thanks very much, and uh, I hope we meet up again soon. And so I, that was it, I thought we've lost him. And then Sunday morning he rings me, and he said, can I come back in on Monday? The team that, the team that he had signed for, uh, I'd been beaten five nil on that Saturday, and they sacked the manager. Wow! wow. So the deal was off. Doors. What a sliding the, doors moment! Yeah. 
then his deal was off. He said, can I, can I come back training Monday? Uh, have you done the clearance? I said, don't worry about the clearance and the contract. And then after after a short period of time, my memory serves me well. Uh, I think it's probably less than three months. He came knocking on my door. He said, what about this contract, Brian? About, would two years be okay? I said, you could have three if you want down. I promised you three. And he said, no, two is fine. And two is fine. Then we, we can re- see where we are in two years' time, then re- renegotiate. So he was confident to stay in for a long time then. So that's uh, that was a. Um, I don't like managers getting sacked, but I don't mind if they get sacked in Japan. So it uh, <laughs> allows us to uh, it allows us to sign to sign down. He was a key figure for us, wasn't he? In the dressing yeah, room, uh, he was a key figure in the dressing room as well. I remember saying Wayne Phillips was an absolute Man United nut, fanatical Manchester United fan. I remember saying to pull him to one side when we signed Darren, and uh, he, he, he said, "If I pulled him on his own, if I if I brought Wayne into the office, he always thought he'd done something wrong. He must have thought he was he's he's done something wrong." And I said, "Listen, whatever you do, don't ask Darren for tickets. You must not ask Darren for United tickets. If I find that out, you I'm going to find you two weeks' wages." You cannot ask Darren to get tickets. And he never did, to be fair to him. Wayne didn't. <laughs> he, yeah, he was such a crucial player. Touching on what um, what Sir Alex said, um, do, I mean, do you think he, he could have gone to play a different... I, mean, I, think, I think we're all grateful that he didn't uh, go elsewhere, but do you think he could have played at a higher level? Uh, Darren had the brain too. Uh, he, he, had the, he was clever enough to play at the highest level. His skill set, yes. Uh, sadly lacking pace, you know, which, uh, and you'd have to build a team around him. So you'd have to play, which we did. We played in a 4-3-3 formation. So Darren was the middle of three in midfield. We had Wayne and Gareth around him. Both could run all day. Both under under my instructions to pass the ball, as you mentioned, to pass the ball to Darren as soon as possible. Because uh, he, never, he never, ever gave the ball away. And he was one of these players, even though he, was, he wasn't quick, he knew exactly where he was on the pitch and where, where the opponents were. So is, uh, I think he could have played at the high... I, I thought, I, I've got to be honest, I thought Feyenoord would have suited him. You know, Dutch football. Knowing Dutch yeah. football as I do, I thought that type of football would have been suited him down to ground. But thankfully it didn't. And he came <laughs> back. Yeah, the rest, as they say, is history, isn't it? Um, we've talked about the Arsenal game quite a lot on this podcast, but just touching on sort of the, I guess, the aftermath of it, did you have a bigger budget after that game? And did, did you see it as the turning point that it ultimately became? Uh, yes, the, the budget was uh, a lot more. Um I, 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 we didn't. We did, again. Once again, it wasn't written in the budget of, at the start of each season because you can't predict you're going to reach the third round or the fourth round. And in our case, near the quarterfinals later on, you can't. You can't budget at the start of the season to say right. We, the gate receipts will be these amounts. Well, the chairman, after a time, did expect us to get to the third division, uh, third round of the FA Cup. 
So th th again, there's a gentleman's agreement with the, with the chairman was that uh, if we got to the third round of the FA Cup and we drew a Premier League team, first division team, I'd get 50% of the gate receipts. I, not me personally, the, 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 the playing budget would get 50% of the gate. And chairman said, that's fine, Brian. That's fine. It's not a problem. We, we, we draw a Premier League club home or away, gate receipts, because gate receipts in the FA Cup are 45% of the home team, 45% of the away team, and 10% of the FA. So that that's the breakdown of the of the gate receipts. So if it's if it's hundred thousand pound gate receipts, we'd receive forty five thousand. Obviously, my playing budget would be improved by twenty two and a half thousand. That's how it, that's how it worked. That's how we how we did it. That's what the plan was. Sorry, did you want right. to? Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, right. We do something on, on on this called the fearless moment, and it's the moment that fills you full of most passion in your involvement in in Wrexham. I am wondering if it's going to be the Arsenal game, but is there any other moment that that sort of stands out for you? Good question. That's come. Um, you know, I've never had that question. That's really put it at a different angle. No, Scott. I know it's. It's plain and simple, but Arsenal was special. Northampton was yeah. even more special. Oh, right. Yeah, Northampton, because it was over a season, wasn't it? Mm. It was over a season. We proved how good we were. The combination of the players, the team that we had, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a perfect season for us. And to culminate it with winning at Northampton, uh, and then the celebrations afterwards are memorable. I must admit, they were memorable. The celebrations afterwards, so it was uh, my first promotion as a manager, which is key. You know, absolutely key to uh, to what what you want to achieve. And uh, we we it was a great, it was a really good team. Uh, I wonder if you mention that team, in, and uh, we'll speak later about the two teams who would get in. Yeah. Paul Mullen might have a chance. Yeah, Paul Mullen might have a chance, but uh, yeah, Arsenal. Arsenal was uh, everything went to plan, and he, uh, in terms of uh, coaching, when coaching, especially when you're coaching young players, you have to give them. It's not restrictions. We have to give them rules and. Regulations, I suppose. Um, one, one of the golden rules for defending, for defending, anybody defending. So it might be, a, it's not just defenders, but it might be a midfield player back inside the penalty box. It might be a centre forward back to defend set pieces. My golden rule was you can't slip. The reason you slip is not a greasy pitch. It's you're off balance yeah, and you're in the balance. wrong place. You're in the wrong place and off balance. That's the only reasons why you slip. So leading up to the Arsenal game, the week of, when I say everything went to plan, all the major things went to plan. We never predicted Mickey Thomas taking, taking the free kick. Never predicted. I think the best thing that happened in the first half is that they scored late on. Late on. Mm. And we were still in the game. If they were scored after six minutes, 
it could have been six nil first half because it, I think it was six minutes left, and it gave me something to to work on in the dressing room at half time. And I said something unpredictable will happen. We kept saying that all week. Something you never believed is going to happen. Never believe a Mickey will put the ball into that top corner from that distance. And you never believe that the best defender in Europe at that time, England captain, slips in the penalty box for Steve Watkin to score the winner. So it's it was written in it was written for us that we'd we'd win that game. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, I mean, it's the, probably the most iconic match I, I can remember. I mean, I'm hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll challenge that at, at some point yeah. in the future, but but there's nothing close to it at the moment. It's Ronnie, Rad, it's Ronnie Radford era, isn't it? Yeah. Newcastle. Yeah. Two, two, of the, two of the circumstances are surrounding. We were 92nd the previous season. They were champions. Mm. Hereford were, not, Hereford were bottom league when they, Newcastle were, Flying top top league, so ours was more dramatic than that, really. But it, yeah. it was the type of goal that Ronnie Radford scored on that pitch, wasn't yeah. it? The heavy yeah, pitch, yeah. the fire in. I mean, you you must have played with Mickey at, at Wales level. Was yeah. he a free kick taker? No, Did, was he your set play guy? No, he's never taken a free kick all season. And if you and if you if you look at uh, the footage now and look at it closely, the those people can lip read, can easily yeah. easily tell what Mickey is saying to Wayne. It's very easily you can see it. He's told yeah, it's him. A family where, show, Brian. Don't don't say what it he's is. Told him, <laughs> in, in he's told him in the nice way. He's told him where to go. Because yeah. Wayne was there to, to cross the ball inside the penalty box, not to shoot. It was in that sort of distance in between too too it was too close, too far to shoot, and too hard to. Too close to chip it into the you know box. It was we we'd set something up. He was going to set up a cross to go into the penalty box, mm. and Mickey decided, I'm going to beat England's number one goalkeeper into the top into the stanchion of the top corner, get the ball within six inches. Unbelievable. I can see it now. I can see it every time I close my eyes. Um, it's got. I'll call this the golden period, right? This is this is we've got Arsenal out of the way. You've had a little bit more money. You've been able to sort of change things, you know, it, it, on this field and off it a little bit. Is there? A, you you were famed for your youth system. Is there any particular player that came through that you particularly pleased you due to you know where you brought them to or or the you know the sort of level they had in the game? Uh, yeah, the classic the classic one is, and we knew straight away when he came in, uh, was Brian Hughes. Right. Uh, yeah, is he had he had the potential, he had the talent, he had the desire, and he he ended up with having a very good career, hmm. uh, a very good top level career with some good clubs. Birmingham, obviously, Charlton. He went to. Uh, he had a good he had a good spell at Charlton. Um, we weren't surprised by him. We knew how good he was. Um, and Trevor Francis of Birmingham was desperate to sign him. Absolutely desperate to sign him. And uh, I managed to hold him off until we went out to the Cup at Chesterfield. And as soon as that happened, then he was he was on the phone. Because I told Trevor Francis, he's going nowhere until the FA Cup is over, our adventure in the FA Cup is over. 
And when we and when we lost uh, to Chesterfield, he was the first person on the phone, Trevor, and signed in within a couple of days. And yeah. uh, that's how it was. Right. Uh, the one who disappointed was... me more, the one who disappointed me more, from I thought would do, but uh, was Gareth Owen. Oh. I, th- I thought Gareth would go on to bigger and better things, but uh, mm. without being tough, he didn't have the desire. He didn't have yeah. that inner edge, that, that real edge you got to have to 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 play at a top level. Mm. Yeah, we had we had Gareth on. We asked him the same thing. He, you know, he always looks back his career. He's fondly. He thinks you know he really enjoyed what he did. But you think he could have he could have gone on another couple of steps. I mean, he oh, never absolutely. played for Wales, did he? No, absolutely. Yeah, he didn't didn't do enough to play for Wales. Yeah, he was. Uh, he, he, he let he let others. He, he he had the ability to dominate games or to have a big influence on games, uh, but he never used that ability that he had. I don't think he realised it. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so it's probably my fault for not getting the best out of him. <laughs> oh yeah, I was going to say. Do you think there's anything you you would have done differently now to try and to try and harness that a little bit more? But you know, sometimes you just. They're consigned to history. This isn't it. You can't. This you can't go back. No, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But uh, I, I, at, at that time, for a period, me, Kevin, Joey were confident that Gareth would be the next sale. Then put it that way. Who's going to be going next? Oh, it'll be Gareth. I think Gareth will be the next one uh, on the yeah. on the mus. The flip side to that is you also you know brought a lot of good players in. What what was your signing who you were particularly pleased with? I mean, I'm I'm thinking. I'm going to throw some names at you just because their names are, are etched into my brain. But Andy Marriott, Brian Carey, uh, Tony Humes, uh, Craig Skinner. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> you just named him the best, most influential player I saw was Tony Humes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the most controversial was obviously Gary Bennett. Yeah. Uh, Did you get a lot of stick for that? Did you get a lot of stick for that before he played? Uh, I, I I weren't worried about that, and Gary wasn't worried either, uh, which was one of the reasons why we hit it off. Basically, uh, he not we, but Wrexham and Gary hit it off. Uh, he was he was the arch villain, wasn't he? Pantomime that, villain, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, he was he was a villain in the eyes of uh, in the eyes of Wrexham fans, and he was from Chester. Again, Joey was. Joey was a major influence on this. Joey was the one who, who instigated it, who got the meeting together, uh, which he came to the office and I asked Gary to come to the Isle of Man with us to play in the tournament. And Gary told me in no certain way to, to forget it. Uh, he saw it as a trial period, uh, which in some ways it was. Uh, but I said to Gary, I said, come with us. I've have three games with us, and then at the end of the week we'll sit down and talk contracts. He said, "Well, let's let's do it now. Let's talk contracts now and sort it out now, rather than go to the Isle of Man." I said, "No, I will do it after the Isle of Man." So I was a bit stubborn, which you have to be at certain times. Uh, and he just walked out of the room. We went to the Isle of Man, played three games, didn't score a goal, and Joey said on our return, he said, "Give Benno another chance. Give Gary another chance if he can." Sorted out with him. We need him, right? We need that type of player. And that's Joey spotted. I took all the 
<laughs> I took all the plaudits for that. It was Joey who did, who did everything in terms of wanting him and being strong and pushing me to take him, took him in, told him. We'd seen him play, obviously, a lot locally with Chester, and he was playing off wide areas. I said, Ben, no, you're a, you're a penalty box player, centre-forward. He said, I've never played centre-forward. You, you're a centre-forward now. Uh, and like your Olympic, that's how it is. And 130 goals in three seasons. Nuts. Sign him on a free transfer and then sell him for 300 grand for over 300 to Tramia when he's 32. Uh, so he was the most controversial, but the most influential and best was Tony Hughes by a long, long way because he was the captain on the pitch. He guided everything and... Uh, he was a perfect leader, perfect player at the perfect time for us. Yeah, it's a shame he was. He had suffered with injuries a little bit, didn't he? Because you you would sort of think that he was a, at least a, a division. Well, sorry, championship as you would call it now. Player, maybe a bit, maybe a bit higher if. Uh, if yeah, he was absolutely. Able to... Yeah, um, I want to talk about some other signings you made. Where the hell did you get three Trinidadians from? <laughs> well, obviously Trinidad. I'm going to say obviously Trinidad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Caribbean. <laughs> Caribbean. Well, how did that come about? Is it that's another Joey link, isn't it? It's another Joey, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's all to do with Joey. Joey's cousin. Uh, his name is Mike Berry. Uh, he's from Liverpool, and uh, I think at that time. Uh, Mike's son, Mike was then becoming an agent, a football agent. Uh, he was about to uh, register as a football agent. And I, I, again, I'm not 100% certain. I can't remember 100% certain why he chose to go to the Caribbean. I'm not, I, I, Mike will have the answer. Market? Um, I don't, is it? It's not a British colony, is it, to Trinidad and Tobago? Oh, it might have been. Is it um, a British colony? Uh, Liam, get on Google. Uh, I, I can't. I can't recall. We did not need we work. Play, I mean, we play cricket a lot, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lara's went, from there. I went to um, the first. The first. The first two was uh, Carlos and Hector. Mm. They they came on trial. Yeah, I remember that. Um, you have a keeper as well, Clayton Ince. Clayton Ince, yeah, yeah, absolutely good memory, Andy. Yeah, oh. Clayton was about six foot seven. Uh, mm. Clayton was a big lad, uh, but at that time, I didn't think we needed a goalkeeper. It wasn't yeah. number one on the priority list. Uh, but we, Carlos and Hector, instantly we said these are good enough. Took us the time to get a work permit. And then after mm. that, Dennis came into uh, Mike Berry. Then said, "Look, do you want to have a look at a centre half, six foot eight centre half, Trinidad international?" Showed me some videos of it, and I liked. And he came. He actually came across uh, and was on trial at Bolton. Mm. Mike had got him into Bolton. He's got he had some contacts at Bolton. So I went to the Reebok Stadium to watch Mike play for Bolton Reserves, and uh, Dennis. And I said, "I'll sign him now." I saw him play. I said, look, I'll sign him today. Get him out of the boat as soon as you can, mate. And let's talk contracts. So, and that's what we did. That's how we did it. It didn't, all the Trinidadians didn't really hit the ground running 
straight away, did they? I mean, Dennis had a bit of a tough time. Uh, Carlos didn't really find his feet for a while, and Hector was brilliant, but in in, in patches. In flashes, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think probably the manager after you probably had the best out of these guys, but, you know, f- to, to bring them over in the first place was a little... He, oh, yeah, it was, it, it, it was a gem. Yeah, they were all gems in a different way. Hector was so laid back, it's untrue. Hector was. Uh, uh, he was he was a flash in the pan. You know, he was brilliant and then shocking <laughs> within five minutes of each other. Uh, I don't I, look, I don't think he, he was cut out to be a, a professional footballer. And the demands and the sacrifices that, that you must give to be a professional footballer. Carlos was completely the opposite. I'm going to be a top professional. I'm going to get the top. I'm going to play professional football in, in England. And, and in many ways, Dennis was the same as well. So their mental attitude and approach was much, a lot stronger than Hector's. Uh, Hector just, I think Hector just wanted to get back to the Caribbean, to the sun and the beach. I think that's yeah. what they wanted deep down. And that's what eventually happened. But Dennis and Carlos made... Uh, Good careers for themselves, and Dennis is doing really well now with Coventry, assistant manager of Coventry. So he's had a really good time over here, and uh, it was uh, right place, right time. That happens a lot in football, and uh, they were really interesting. Still speak to him now. Spoke with Dennis last week before before the uh, the Wembley game. Wish him well. Uh, so. Speaking of Carlos, Carlos is back down in Suffolk, I think. I think yeah. he lives down in Suffolk way, Carlos yeah. does. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a lot of respect for, for, for both of them, uh, but especially Dennis, I think, because Dennis had a tough start to his career, but he absolutely, you know, he, he rose to the challenge, and I think yeah. that's the measure of, yeah. a, of a man that stands so so tall. Um, Do you remember their nickname? Collective nickname. Flinnadadians. Flinnadadians, that's it, yeah. <laughs> I, I wonder if that's another Dave Lovett. It, it must be. <laughs> Flinnadadians, yeah. Yeah, just caught me there, Andy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was... Uh, um, well... It, it was... It was. Uh, I remember get, get, trying to get the work permit and the, the solicitor, well, I didn't know what to do. I, I said, we're going to have to get an expert. So I phoned Alex Ferguson again. I phoned Alex up. I said, look, Alex, I'm trying to sign these two players from Trinidad. There's a story there as well as another one. I'll tell you about uh, Dwight York. Yeah, yeah. Just remind me about Dwight York. Uh, and I said, I, I don't know how, I don't know what to do next. I need to get a work permit for these two. It was Carlos and Hector it was. He said, ring this, ring, ring uh, Morris Watkin, Bright, solicitors. He's a director, right? Uh, at uh, Manchester United, solicitors in Manchester, ring him up. He'll put he's put in. I'll ring him first to tell him to expect your call and what it's about. So I ring I ring Morris Watkin half an hour late. He takes the call straight away. See right by. I've got um, I've got a young solicitor here who is absolutely brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant to get with what you want. He's an expert and he'll get this through. And uh, I met up with him, gave him all the information. He asked a thousand questions, which obviously for a reason. And uh, he's now, um, I, I've got to be honest, Andrew, if Liam can uh, 
Google this while we're here. Uh, he's now chief executive of Watford Football Club. Wow, wow that's a poison chalice. <laughs> exactly. Chief executive, um, Watford Football Club. He was, uh, a, he was a solicitor. Is it Scott Scott's Dubry? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Scott Dubry. Chief executive, Liam, is that what it says? Yes, indeed. Yeah, CEO yeah. Scott Dubry. Yeah, he, he was the <laughs> he was the one who got us the work permits. Oh, he was a young he was a young up and coming solicitor. Worked for Morris Watkins' firm, and he was absolutely brilliant. And I remember the person who was dealing with the time, who's now quite prominent in government, I think, called Margaret Hodge. Oh, I've heard of her. Yeah. So she, she's quite prominent. I think. She, uh, yeah, she was uh, working for the Ormos office and she dealt with, with work permits. Was it? I'm sure it was Margaret Hodge. Uh, Labour MP for Barking. Labour MP for Barking. Yeah. That, Scott, Scott, Scott Duxbury, not Dubery, Scott Duxbury. That's just come to me. Liam, he, he, look, he, he went down the road, little old Wrexham Road. Why can't little old Wrexham have players from Trinidad? Yeah. They fitted the criteria. They played international football. They're paying them the, the best rate that Wrexham are paying them. So mm. they, they met the criteria. And he got it through brilliantly. Scott Duxbury, that's what it was, not Dubry, Duxbury. Go on, tell us about Dwight York. Dwight York. Uh, both of them got called up. Uh, to play for Trinidad. So that meant uh, they would leave uh, some, uh, they, were, they were playing Wednesday. Mm. That's right. So they'd leave Sunday morning for Trinidad uh, and then uh, fly back on the they could get a flight back on the Wednesday night after the game. If the game was a three o'clock kickoff on Wednesday, which it was, they could get a direct flight back to Manchester, which would be about seven o'clock from Trinidad. There was a problem getting from the ground to the airport in time uh, to, to get the plane in time. Because finish at five o'clock, yeah. uh, debrief with the manager, shower change, that's six o'clock. You won't get to the airport through the traffic. Check in in times, check in is 6 30 or whatever it is. Uh, uh, so you'd miss the flight on the Wednesday, that means you're flying Thursday, taking all day to fly up back to think you're coming to train on Friday, you're not yeah. in the best shape to play Saturday. Yeah. That was the thing. But I found out after speaking with Alex, Dwight York United had put a pl uh, an helicopter on, on it outside to take him from the match quarter past five, helicopter, flight to the airport, into the airport at quarter six by chopper, probably less time than that. In the, <coughs> in the quarter six, seven o'clock flight, back in Manchester that night, in, in his own bed, back in Wrexham, in his own mind, might be one or two o'clock in the morning, but it was still you back in, you know, thir uh, Thursday morning, Carlos and Hector didn't arrive for training. Didn't appear. They've obviously missed the flight. For whatever reason, they've missed the flight from Trinidad. So they come in Friday morning. 
Carlos cannot tell lies. <laughs> he cannot tell lies. It's just not in his his makeup to tell a lie. He just you could tell you, when you get to know him, he just couldn't tell a lie. Hector could. <laughs> Hector could lie all day and we'd believe him. But Carlos, Carlos couldn't tell a lie. So we got them together. I said to well, what happened? He said, oh, we missed the flight. I said, I know you missed the flight. How did you miss the flight? He said, no, the traffic, right. There's no traffic in the air with the helicopter. Do you get the helicopter? I went, yeah. So what happened? Uh, I prefer not to say, right. So I, 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 I left it at that. I said, okay, I left it at that. So next day, Carlos knocks on my door, comes and said, I need to tell you, right. This is how honest he was. I wasn't going to push him. He said, will you not tell Alex? I said, what do you mean? He said, don't tell Alex what happened. I said, I can't promise I, I won't, but I know what you're saying. I said, well, tell me what happened. So the two of them, Carlos and Hector, jumped in the helicopter with Dwight. And they're just rising, just hovering above the ground. And Dwight says to the pilot, Head straight for Tobago, because he lives on Tobago. He's got a mansion on Tobago, which is next. It's, it's like Anglesey in North Wales. <laughs> Literally, it, you know, but it, not as close as that. But it's the island, Nick. Trinidad yeah. and Tobago, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take me, to, take me home to Tobago. And he, the pilot said, no, I'm going to take you to the airport. And Dwight said, no, Tobago. So they went to Tobago and stayed with him in his mansion. I think he must have had a party for... So oh. I think they might. So he, he, pro, I said, he said, I can't promise I'm not telling Alex. Uh, and not long after Alex rang me up, he said, sorry, Brian, what, uh, what happened? He apologised. He was letting my lads fly with free of charge. Yeah. He said, sorry about what happened, Brian. I said, well, he said, you know what happened, didn't you? Dwight said, detour to Tobago. He knew. Alex knew what Dwight was like. He knew that Dwight was, you know, first time. <laughs> so that's what that's what happened with uh, with Dwight York and the internationals. Oh, you can't get the staff now. You can't even get a lift. Right? Can I? Right. Another player I want to mention. I just want to make sure in my mind it was definitely under your spell and not and not Dennis's smell. A smell a spell. Do you remember a player called Imad? Imad Buanani. Yeah, me. Is it you? Yeah. Can you can you tell me what the hell was happening there? Because <laughs> it was from the sublime to the ridiculous, often in the same in the same run. It was he was nuts, wasn't he? Uh, there was a young French agent, young French agent agent called Gregory, uh, and he was based in London, and Kev. Because Kev was a million pound player, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He signed from so he had an agent. Kev had right. an agent. No, he wasn't working from when he was. Uh, only working from when he was a player. Anyway, this this Kev's agent said uh, to this uh, to Kev, we, we we've got a young player. He's, he's he's a bit different. Will you have a look at him? And. Uh, we said yes. There's no problem if it's a recommendation. We've got. In fact, we had a. Do we have a pre-season game against Manchester United? I think I, we I, did. Yeah. He played in what? 
I think he played in that game. We played, brought him in and played. He was sensational. Six foot two, left footed, quick, left back. I thought it just what we needed. Imad mm. Buanan. That's it, yeah. Yeah, and uh, we signed him. And he, he wasn't, it was a flash, again, a flash in the pan, really. Yeah, but that was me. I, I don't know if Dennis got the legacy of that. Possibly no, I, I don't think he was about for a, for a while, you mad. I, I don't. I mean, he, he's he's seared on all our minds, but I reckon he probably only played about eleven games. Yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. You know, everyone remembers him. He used to take the ball, he used to fly up the wing, hit the post. He always hit the post. He never scored. Always <laughs> hit the post, and then leave a big hole at the back, which yeah, he would sort yeah. of like wander into after yeah. about after about ten minutes. That's that's you, mad. Yeah, no doubt about that. How are you doing for time, Brian? Time is it? Uh, it's ten forty. Oh, bloody hell, we going down forty. I know, I know. Should we aim <laughs> to get this wrapped up in the next twenty minutes? Have you, yeah, you okay. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. I'm going to go through things a little bit. Um, my last question before I hand back to Liam: Who do you blame for Chesterfield? There's two culprits, two two sort of people. Who Goalkeeper be, bottled it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Goalkeeper absolutely bottled it. Oh right, <laughs> uh, and poor Darren took the, took the bulk of the harsh criticism. Um, he should have he should have uh, easily controlled that that situation. He he bottled it. I have no I doubt. Expect you to be so forthright, but but for, there you go. Well, um, you asked me the question. No, yeah. <laughs> look, Darren Darren was Darren was a little. Little, uh, he was a, he was dynamite, Derek, and he was like tough and strong. He was a farmer, brought yeah. up on a farm, mm. you know, West Wales, done from West Wales, and he was tough as anything, not afraid to do anything. He never, he would never have bottled it, Derek. Mm. No, no, he, he knew that ball was his, and it, uh, but it was Andy's. The ball was Andy's. He should totally controlled it, the situation. Fair enough. Yeah, I asked the question. You did not sugarcoat the answer. Liam, <laughs> over to you. <laughs> so just coming towards your um, the end of your time now at Wrexham, can you put a finger on what went wrong towards the end and were there any sort of hard feelings from your perspective? No, none whatsoever. Absolutely none. It was uh, the, 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 the story behind it, the, 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 the real story behind it is that uh, the previous season... We finished seventh, sixth or seventh, close, challenging for playoffs. Challenging, which was probably our second or third third time up in that position in the division. I just felt we needed. I asked the chairman. I called. I went for a meeting with the chairman privately. And just said, "Look, is there any way possible uh, that we can invest five hundred thousand pound into the team?" We'll get promotion. That money will come back ten times. We get promotion, and the players we we're looking at and what we're going to do is there any possibility where we can you can raise half a million pounds, knowing obviously that that would have to come from the board and have to come as guarantees. And the chairman said, "I'll put it to the board, and we'll have a show of hands." Went to the board meeting, and the show, the show of hands were six board members. Uh, 
kept the hands down on chairman on, went put his hands up on his own so in, in effect the money was not there so i had one year left on my contract i then said that uh, i i'm not going to renew my contract this was after 12 years by the way it's going to be 12 years i i don't intend to renew my contract i want i said i want a break from football management i just wanted to do something different, but just that was just an excuse, I would say. So I'd, I'd sort of hinted that I was going to be leaving anyway at the end of the season. Uh, but I stress I didn't want to make that public. Uh, but uh, when the results started going, it, was it five at Tranmere? We lost five at Tranmere. Yeah. We call it a day. At that time, prior to that, sorry, I missed, prior to that, um, Chairman hadn't been well, I must admit. He, is, he was going through a bit of ill health. Um, so he wasn't he wasn't in total control at that time. I can say that, can, I can honestly say that. Uh, so when they pulled the trigger, I'm not sure the chairman would have agreed with it, but he let it happen, which is fine, which is fine. It's, uh, as I said, I've been sacked by Limerick for, for doing, doing everything correctly. Uh, I'd had, I'd had 12, look, you can't complain. I, it was it was a great period for me. It was a great first club to manage, I must admit. So I saw, you could say, I sort of instigated uh, the departure. That's why it wasn't, uh, that's why it was so amicable. Yeah, and could you, um, had, just remind me, had the takeover happened when you left or was that af- afterwards? Afterwards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A- after I so left, did- yeah. So, so you didn't get to have any uh, dealings with the infamous Mr. Hamilton and Co. There, <laughs> none, none whatsoever. No, no, none, <laughs> probably none for whatsoever. the best. Uh, <laughs> I, I, the stories are whether they they're infamous. The stories aren't they? My, they yeah, all, yeah. They all turn out to be correct. You know, there was uh, uh, there's been some disasters, isn't it, in terms of owners at, at Wrexham? Absolutely disaster. Yeah. Uh, which is complete another story. Yeah. Um. Did you did, did you think there was any chance at all that you could turn things around by the end, or were you were you finished? Had you made up your mind in terms of your departure? Oh no. When 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 David Rose, it was David Rose who came to me and said, Brian, the board would like like to tell it, like me to say, uh, let's shall we call it a day? Is it time to? Uh, I think it was November, wasn't it? Yeah, just after the ram there, I think. Yeah, it was just heavily, we were heavily beaten. And I discussed it with Joey and Kev, obviously, and said, look, this is our final season. Uh, but knowing football, anything could happen. It could be, yeah. it could be, it could, it could come soon. It, we could go through the end of the season. We could change our minds and accept a contract. We were that open, you know. It was it was all open like that. We could you could stay. Uh, team the team was not improving at that time. We didn't have an. I don't think we had a, the production line of young players coming through as good as at that time. So the next two or three years would have been tough, as they as they turned out, as they turned out. So I, we left and it was fine. It was we 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 shook hands and just. Got on with it, and everything was dynamically. Yeah, and um, you are obviously heavily involved in 
youth system during your time as Wrexham. I think it was one of the lowest placed clubs to to have an academy. What's your view of how that went? Well, it was an obsession to to to, to, go, to have an academy, to have a training ground. You know, and the the Colliers Park was an obsession for me, for Kev, for Joey, uh, to get our own facility. I remember. Uh, the first time, our first academy game was Tottenham Hotspur at home. And I remember them turning up and looking at, thinking they're going to play down at uh, the Groves, four acres at the Groves, thinking they'd be playing on a park like that. And they came to the Colliers Park and they couldn't believe it. They couldn't, couldn't believe the facilities that we had. In the, um, and we gave them a good game, if I remember, as well. I think it was a good game, so we watched most of the game. Um, so it was it was important for the development of. I remember Howard Wilkinson. Howard Wilkinson's dream was the academy football, it was elite football, obviously, but it really it was only meant for the top six clubs in the Premier League. That all they would get all the best players, which would nurture them for England. It was it was it was a plan to get elite players for England. Excuse me. So when when I applied, when we applied. Howard Wilkinson phoned me up because he was technical director of the FA. He said, Brian, do you realise this is all for England? You were Welsh. <laughs> you were a Welsh club. You're, you're a Welsh club. Well, you know, we're not really doing it to help Welsh football. We're doing it to help for English football. Um, I said, Howard, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but do you know how far from the border Wrexham is? And if I look at uh, if I look at statistics now, I'll check on them. But I, we have uh, sixty players in our in our academy system, ranging from ten year old up to sixteen year old. Seventy percent of them were born in England, Chester, Liverpool. You know, a lot of them from Liverpool, Manchester. They were coming from all over. They weren't all Welsh. So as soon as he said, "Right, okay, but I'll pass it," and that's why we got the license. One of the major things why we got the license. That's fascinating, isn't it? Uh, quite, quite blunt though. Is that his call to you? <laughs> yeah. So just fast forwarding now, quite some, quite some years to quite recently when you came back in uh, twenty nineteen with Brian Hughes. Um, did you jump at that chance to to come back to Wrexham, or did you have to be talked into it a little? I uh, know Brian had talked me into it. Yeah, uh, but under under certain conditions strict certain conditions. Um, I've, 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 he, he said, look, he rang me. He said, Brian, I want you to come in and help me. I said, yeah, not a problem, Brian. Initially, I said, yes, good. I said, um, we need to speak face to face. So um, I said, where are you now? He said, I'm in Wrexham. I said, I didn't realise he still he lived in Hull. So uh, Brian lived in Hull, just outside Hull. Uh, so he said, I'm, I'm coming home tonight. I said, I'll meet you on Junction uh, 27, the M62, the Holiday Inn, I'll meet, which is halfway up for him, and it's not far from me. It's, it's 40 minutes from... I'll meet you at the hotel at 6 o'clock tonight. We'll have a sit-down and have a chat. So we met up. I said, right, these are the rules. I'll come in twice a week, plus matches. Um, I'll... I'll no part in training, coaching, that's your job. 
oh, everything on the grass is your job, Brian. I don't, I'm, I'm not taking a warm up. I'm not taking anything because that's your job. But what I'll do, I'll, I'll, I'll say, I'll point you in the right direction. Yes or no, good or bad. Uh, I'll answer any questions you've got. And uh, we, can, we can make it work. We can make it work. Uh, there were other influencing factors that I was deeply concerned about. Uh, I can't go into them, obviously, but I, I was deeply concerned about going in. Uh, like I'd mentioned early on, do you go back? The old adage, never go back. Um, <laughs> it, it was really interesting. I must admit, Brian, Brian had the potential to be a good manager. Uh, he, had, he definitely had the potential. He had the right ideas and he, and he went about and he, he had good management skills. So it, it's, it's a shame that he'll probably never be a manager again. You know, Willie, I mean, sacked by a conference club. Um, <coughs> excuse me. So I, I felt, I, I felt, a de I wasn't, a, I was, a, I wasn't surprised, I suppose, knowing what I know now and finding out what happened behind the scenes and finding that, finding out what, what, what went on. Uh, but it's a shame that he's not still in the game now as a, as a, as a coach or a manager. Yeah, it's a shame we can't push you on that, but I understand why you don't want to go on on the record on yeah. that. And, you know, it's it's water under the bridge now. Let, let, let's throw it forward. Let's let's have a look at the the future. What's going on now? Um, could you could you could Brian Flynn be in a documentary? Could you deal with all that me media pressure? <laughs> uh, yes, I'm I'm sure it's uh, it's exciting at the time we come. come uh, I haven't been, I haven't witnessed it uh, recently when I went down to the training ground uh, with everything that's happened. It's become the norm down there, isn't it? I mean, even the players don't blink twice now about cameras being poked in their face. Uh, so it's, it's become normal and natural. Um, that, and to be honest, when things at, with Wrexham with, in the early days, the, the media attention with BBC Wales, for example, mm. when the cup runs would come in and they'd be, they'd be everywhere in the car park and they just, players get used to that. They get, and well, they, get, they quite like that um, attention, don't they? So it's, uh, it's going to be interesting, part two. Part three and part four is going to be, uh, part five, obviously, the plan is Premier League. Yeah, I mean, I'm here for season five. <laughs> yeah, it's it's obvious. It's five. It's five. well, Luton's done it in ten, in nine. Wrexham mm. could half that. They could do it in five. Oh wow! In Premier League, wow. there's no doubt about that. Why not? What is there to stop them? There's no barriers now to stop them whatsoever. What do they need to do to to take them to that next level? And one thing I, I was going to ask you about is. The youth system isn't what it used to be. Is that something that they really need to to crank up again? They need they need to. Oh yeah, without a doubt, it's too late now. Is it? Too, mm -hmm. Never too late. I'll I'll rephrase that. Uh, I'll, I'll, they, they'll have to if they want to be in the Premier League. Yes. So five years time, set out the development plan for five years. Yes. 
they do need it and they need, do, do need a st strong one. Max Cleworth is the only yeah. one that's come through in the last mm. how many years? I, I um, can sort of understand it, Brian, because it's such an imperative to get out of the non-league. People like Phil Parkinson need to buy proven players yeah. uh, it's, uh, to get them out there. But I do sort of think that you can't go out and buy all your players, can you? Every now, you know, you need to supplement your squad with with people oh, coming absolutely. through. And yeah, the catchment area is huge, you know that. Yeah, it's uh, oh yeah, without a doubt. And uh, the key factor, key message as well is, and is if you're developing young players, the average age of your squad comes down dramatically, mm. which is important. Yeah, you know it's yeah. important as a coach. You know, realize that when you're planning things, when you're planning things for two or three years down the line, how old is Paul Mullen? I'm, I'm not sure. 27, 28, maybe. Yeah, so the next two years are going to be golden period. Three years. Yeah. Three years are going to be golden period for him, isn't it? Mm. 30, championship, 30-year-old 30 in the championship. Defenders as good and as clever as him. Mm. But yeah. if you've got a young Steve Watkins coming through... Yeah. You know, it takes it's... pressure off. Oh, yeah, yeah. It takes the pressure off and takes, puts the pressure on players. I'm not saying that it's a scenario that we're talking about, mm. you know. But I think, uh, I think they do. They do need to reinvest into. Uh, apparently, I'm, I'm led to believe it's not. It's not. It's not priority. In fact, uh, nothing on it. I think with, with the ladies' team doing so well, that's probably number two priority, isn't it? If the first team's number one, number two is the ladies, which is great, which is fantastic. Absolutely fantastic, but that's the list of what priorities is Premier League for the for the first team. Yeah, um, I just want to quickly talk about Mullin and Wales. We've just seen the Wales squad; he's not in it. Um, how would Brian Flynn connect the dots to get Paul Mullin in that Wales squad? And do you think it's do you think that ship has sailed a little bit, or do you think there is a place for him to at least test him at that level? Um, haven't been involved. <laughs> I would, I, I would, I would, I would take, I would take Paul Mullen to to the Welsh Hotel with his boots and say to the manager, whoever the manager would be, not not Rob, not talking about Rob Page now. I'm mm. talking hypothetical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would drive in. I would, I drive, would drive in down to the Vale in Cardiff and say to the manager, he's training with you for the next two days, three days. Just let him train with you, and then he'll be in the squad. Have a look at him, close hand. You think uh, he's good enough? Yeah. Goal scorers, goal scorers, yeah. every level. Doesn't matter what level. Mm. Our, 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 our one is Andy Morell, isn't it? Mm. Andy Morell scored goals for fun for his for his non-league team, and did the same with us, didn't he? Yeah. So yeah. it doesn't matter what level. If you're a goal scorer, you've got a natural instinct, then that's it. But for is he is he through is it through his parents or grandparents being uh, grandparents, I think, Liam. Am I right there? Yeah, pretty sure it's his grandmother, I think. It's grandmother, yeah. So um basically the um I'm not saying Phil has Phil has to uh dictate the situation, but I I'd I'd really force the issue. I'd, re I, I, I'd, I'd take a personal, personal 
yeah, I'd do it and, and, and get, get personal with the manager to, and, and push it. Right. Brian, I, I realise we're running out of time here. What I want to do is I want to do some quick fire questions and then I've got one last question and then we're done. Right. The quick fire questions are um, out of all your time in Wrexham, who is the most skillful? Carl Connolly. Oh, love that answer. Um, who was the worst dressed? Gary Bennett. Oh, I'm, I'm having that one as well. Um, who was the most underrated? Steve Watkin. Oh, yeah. Uh, all great answers so far. Uh, who's the biggest moaner? Gary Bennett. Oh, okay. It's always, always this. We should really say who out of the Darren Ferguson or 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 Neil Ashton moaning award is the biggest moaner. But yeah, Bennett was a good one as well. Right, finally, who would you least like to fight? Joey. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, right. Finally, this is the last question. This is a true or false. This is Brian Flynn's best team at Wrexham. I'm going to name 11 players who I think it is. Um, and you tell me if you would slide someone else in there. Marriott, McGregor, Carey, Humes, Hardy, Fergie, Yozza, Rooster, Carl, Steve Watkin and Bennett. That's perfect. Brilliant. Wow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, you going? Yeah. Um, um doing it, doing it. Um, it'd be a strong subs bench. Oh, it would be a brilliant subs bench. Yeah, it'd be a strong. It'd be a strong subs bench. Um, as you're probably aware, as you're probably aware by my earlier answer, I'm not too sure about Marriott and Goal. Oh. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. I'm I mean, he was a brilliant sure. shock stopper, wasn't he? Um, I was not too sure. Well, in, in, in relation to your previous question regarding Mullen, I did that with Andy Marriott. I got yeah. him a Welsh cap. By driving him down there? Yeah, I got him a Welsh cap. He played once for Wales, didn't he? Yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, yeah he played once for Wales. So I was manager and I, I forced the issue with... Would it be Mark Hughes, I think? Would it be Mark Hughes? Hmm. It must must have been markings. Liam, do some digging there. One, <laughs> Liam, when do was some digging. Would have been? Could it have been Bobby Gould? Ah, no, no, you've hit the nail on the head, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. I would have talked to Bobby Gould and said, "Look, I'll drive him down." And they they they, they didn't do any research in them days about where your parents or grandparents were from. Mm. So it would have been Bobby Gould, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not too sure about Andy Marriott, but in his place, I, I don't know. Uh, Mark Morris was a good young goalkeeper. Yeah. Mark Cartwright, no. Don't think Mark could compete with that one. No. Who else was in goals? Vince O'Keefe, when I was Vince O'Keefe when I arrived, yeah. Dearden was good for, for a season. Who? Kevin Dearden. Oh, Kev, yeah. Yeah, one season, Kev. Yeah. Fatty. He was too fat when he came. Uh, he had a I, problem. He had a weight problem, Kev. I remember <laughs> Joey trying to 
take some biscuits off him in the uh, in Collier's yeah. Park. It was <laughs> it was pandemonium there, mate. Right. Very last question: Would anyone from the current current squad get into that team? I've got to be brutally honest. I've seen Wrexham play this season twice, mm. live, and only in recent weeks. Paul Mullins a certainty. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he'd be a certainty to be on the bench. <laughs> on the bench, <laughs> he'd be a certainty to no. He, 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 he'd have a strong case to, to start. Yeah. Uh, the other player I liked because of his creativity was Ollie Lee. Uh, yeah, yeah, Elliot Lee, yeah. Uh, Elliot Lee, sorry, not Ollie. Yeah. Elliot Lee, I love his creativity. He's a bit different. He's a little bit unexpected, which you need in every team. And more importantly, he pops up and gets goals as well. So I think uh, them two would, have, would would get me thinking long and hard. Brian, I've absolutely loved this chat. Ben Foster, Thank you. Ben Foster for Marriott. Oh, okay. Oh, you can have that yeah, one. there we go. Brian, absolutely loved this. Thank you so much. We've had you on for an hour and a half. It, it felt like 20 minutes. Um, there's so much more we could have asked you. Uh, I'll try again. Yeah, we can come on anytime, Andy. Brilliant. Oh, Thank you so much. Thank you very much to Brian Flynn for his time. What a guy, Andy. Um, very generous with his time there. Yeah, absolutely. Everything I, I wanted from, from Brian, really. Um, it takes a while to pin him down, uh, but once you get him, you just knew you are going to get quality stuff. Uh, you know, he was affable. He was, he was you know, razor with what, what happened and, and how. And to be honest, I thought he was very honest, a lot more honest than I thought he was going to be. I even alluded to that in the chat that, you know, um, Sometimes managers come on and they hold a little bit back. Brian just says it how, how it is. There's one one part he didn't want to really go into about Brian Hughes and, and WST towards the end, and you can you can understand that because that's not his that's not his era, that's not his doing. He's coming in to help there. He can't really call that that bit. But you know some some great stories, some great insight, and you know just what a wreck, some legend. And you know the what I want to say is that the people sort of new fans listening to this. Brian Flynn is a cornerstone, absolute legend and an icon of our club. And I think he talked really well about a golden period for us. And Liam, we've got another South Wayne on the podcast next week, haven't we? Uh, that chat went well, I hope. Yep, very good. Am I, am I allowed? To, well, I think it's already out there who it is, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is the legend, the man, the myth that is Dean Saunders and let's just say it's every bit as entertaining as you would expect it to be. Um, it was entertaining from the off because he initially couldn't get on the call. Uh, then his Wi-Fi wasn't working and then he couldn't work out where to position his chair to get by the Wi-Fi, but he's got some cracking tales of his, of his time at Wrexham. He's got a, he's got an answer for everything. Um, <laughs> and yeah, just some, some batty stories. Pretty much everyone I think we asked him about in terms of the crazy stories that players 
had told us about was near enough everyone was true i think pretty much <laughs> but uh we'll go he'll go more into that next week uh, it, that reese that was like it was like an after dinner speech just for me and liam <laughs> it was great it was like saunders on tap absolutely brilliant enjoyed it look you know he's he's it's a long time ago and he hasn't got absolutely everything correct not all the facts and figures and stuff like that i mean you know we, we you wouldn't expect him to but you know as overall you i will think you will come out liking dean saunders yeah really looking forward to that one thanks everyone for listening before we go tim how can people get hold of us oh various ways you know fearless id zine on twitter you can go right um, tim's house you should definitely go around Tim's house. No, don't come to my house. I've got a poorly dog. So go away. I'll, I'll, I'll borrow uh, Dean Sorens' uh, BB gun and chase you away with it. That's another story for next week before we do that one. Um, yeah, and same on Instagram, same on Facebook, and on email, fidzine at gmail.com. Um, so keep them coming. DM us as well on Twitter. The DMs are open. But please no more offers of competitions at the moment because I'm struggling to keep up with what I've got. So... Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers. Cheers.